Father, I thank you for the people that you have brought into this church. I thank you for the joy that they possess that is given from you as a gift. Lord, I thank you for these families, and we take no one for granted. We understand, Lord, that people have a choice, and you have brought them here to harvest, and I pray your blessing on them. I pray that they would be encouraged in their walk with you and their faith. I pray that they would be fed. I pray that they would be challenged and encouraged. And Father, I pray for your help as I don't want to preach without your enablement. I don't want to try. I I want your spirit to fill me and to use me and to guide me. And Father, um, I pray that the depths that we will look at in this scripture will make a difference in people's lives and hearts. That we might truly enter into what this time of year is all about. And so we ask for your sovereign hand of blessing right now that you would do what only you can do by your word and by your spirit. And we pray this with anticipation. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. I told my wife Thursday morning, December is my least favorite month of the year. You may say, well, what's your problem? You know, I mean, you're a pastor and Christmas is in December. Exactly. And uh, boy, what a Scrooge, what a Grinch. Well, listen, everybody has a moment of carnality here now and then, okay? Cut me a break. And for others, you're like, amen, pastor, I feel your pain, preach it. (laughs) Now understand, it's not that I'm against Christmas. Not at all. It's just that I'm not for everything that our culture lumps on top of it. And it's, it's so easy just to feel so overwhelmed in this month. And it's just nonstop running around and busyness. And, and it wears you down. And honestly, some of you here this morning, you're worn out. You're tired. Um, you're, you're exhausted. And you've just been going and going and going. And, and stress levels rise this time of, this time of year. I mean... There's decorating to do and Christmas letters to write and dinners to attend and shopping to finish and traffic to drive in and crowds to fight and gifts to wrap and gifts to mail and baking to accomplish and it's just busy, busy, busy. And then we hear that song, it's the most wonderful time, baloney. Okay, that's another moment of carnality, I'm sorry, okay? And, and I just need, I know what you need, Pastor. You need a time out. Well, yeah, I need that too, okay? But I just need sometimes to stop and remember what it's all about. And I just need to stop and think about Christmas and what God has to say about Christmas. And, and I just need to stop and remember what Christmas is all about. And that's what we're going to do this morning. I just want us to remember what Christmas is all about. And uh, so I want you to take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 2. And, uh, and I want to encourage you to get in the habit at Harvest to bring your Bibles. Uh, I don't put the main passage up on the screen. I want you looking in the Word of God to do that. I'll put the supporting scripture up, but I, I want you to bring the textbook because we're here to learn. We're here to grow. So Matthew chapter 2, if you don't have a Bible, look on the person next to you. Just take their Bible right now. Just take it. That's fine. I, we can, we're among friends too. Matthew chapter 2, read along as I read starting in, in verse 1 of Matthew chapter 2. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem. Interesting. What did they say? Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? 
For we saw the star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him, and gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born, and they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea. For this is what has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Verse 7. Herod secretly called the Magi, determined from them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. When you found him, report to me so that I too may come and worship him. After hearing the king, they went their way, and the star, which they had seen in the east, went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And after coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return the Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. This is one of those passages that helps us remember what Christmas is really all about. Well, remember that Christmas is about this. Number one, it's about facts, not fairy tales. Say that with me. It's about facts, not fairy tales. And let's be honest, there's a lot of fairy tales this time of year. You know, Jesus' birth isn't one of them. Jesus' birth is real. God sent his son because of our depravity and our wickedness and our need of forgiveness and salvation. And he sent his son, God himself, to represent humanity, to be born a man and to eventually die a man, to take the place for your sins, to take the place on that cross. God did that because he loves you. That's the message of Christmas. Don't confuse the baby Jesus with singing snowmen. Don't confuse him with flying reindeer or green grinches or big guys in red suits. Don't, don't, for, don't, 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 you know, confuse him with any fiction. Here's more fiction. It's a big sale. They're getting your money. Remember that, okay? Pagan propaganda abounds everywhere this time of year. Don't forget the facts amidst the childish fiction. Make sure Christ is in your Christmas. Make sure he is the number one thing in your Christmas. Jesus' birth was historical fact. He was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod. My birth was real. Your birth was real. I, I was born August 18th, 1967, Jersey Shore Medical Center, Neptune, New Jersey. By the way, no wise men showed up. They stayed away. <laughs> okay? <laughs> Jesus' birth was real. Luke 2.7, I read it to the kids. They, he, she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in cloths, laid him in a manger. John chapter 1, verse 1 and then verse 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And in the beginning, He was in the beginning with God. And the Word became what? Flesh. And He dwelt among us. And we saw His glory. Glory is of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. God became a man. 1 John 1, 1 and 2, we're, we're told that, and the life was manifested, and we've seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. He was born to give us eternal life. That's the reason he came. That's why we celebrate Christmas. His name, Jesus, even means God saves, God delivers. Bethlehem was real, five to six miles outside Jerusalem. Judea was real, hill country. Herod, Jared, Jared the king. (laughs) Herod the king. He was real. And he was really bad. 
And we'll see a little bit about that in a, in a second. So remember, Christmas is about facts, not fairy tales. Remember, Christmas, secondly, is about paying homage to the king. Magi, verse 1, arrive from the east in Jerusalem. And they say, where is he who's been born king of the Jews? We saw a star in the east and have come to worship him. The king has visitors. In typical Christmas fashion, you know, you go visit family, family comes visit you, friends get together. Looking forward to my dad coming in about a week. Well, when did they arrive? Look at verse 1. After Jesus was born. Some time has elapsed from when he was born to when they show up. It may have been a day, a few days, weeks, a month. It could have even been a year. We're not told how long it took the Magi to get here after the birth of Jesus. Now, you, you've got to get this. Let, let me point out a couple things. He is called a child in Matthew chapter 2, verse 9, until it came and stood over the place where the child was. He is called a baby in Luke 2, 16. And the baby as he lay in the manger. Not only that, it is called a house in Matthew 2.11. After coming into the house, it's no longer a manger. Luke 2.7, we read that he is placed in a manger. So they have moved. They are still in Bethlehem, but they have moved. You know what this means? The Magi were not hanging out with the shepherds. They weren't at the manger scene. So I want you to go home with your manger scene and kick the Magi out of there. Put them in the other room and tell them they arrived too early. They're not supposed to be there yet. Let's get back to what the Bible teaches. The Magi are not at the manger scene. The shepherds are. Mary and Joseph are. Well, who are these guys? Magi, they're called wise men. In Daniel's time, Wise men are among the highest ranking men in Babylon or in Persia, and they have a knowledge of astronomy. They're students of the stars. They also have a knowledge of scripture, being students of Jewish prophecies, which is really weird. Why would guys in Babylon or Persia be students of Jewish prophecy? Well, if you know your Jewish history, tens of thousands of exiled Jews lived in Babylon and lived in Persia, Daniel being one of the most prominent and so they very well could have known verses like Numbers twenty four seventeen, A star shall come forth from Jacob, and a scepter shall arise from Israel. Well, how many? How many magi do we have? Well, we're, we're almost always typically seeing three, more than likely because of the three gifts that were given. Every picture you see, almost, you got three guys. And look at that. They're at the manger. Go home. You're there too early. Okay, there's three more guys. You know, you see three, they're on their way, you know. Now, it's been said that there were originally 12, but nine were turned away because they brought fruitcake. I, I, don't know if that's, I don't know if that's true, but it's been said, okay? All we know is that there's a minimum of two wise guys. We know there's two because it says we, we have come. You know, we've seen his star. It could have been 22. There could have been three. There could have only been two. We don't know. You may say, well, what are their names? Well, traditionally, it's Casper and Melchior and Belshazzar, and it's all conjecture. We don't know their names. We have no clue. Where are they from? We're told they're from the east. Quite possibly, more than likely, Persia, Babylon, or the Arabian Desert. They would have traveled 800 to 900 miles away. Here's some possible routes they could have taken. It's a long way. But I want you to notice this. When it comes to the king, 
Be willing to go to the distance. Be willing to go the distance. When it comes to the king, be willing to make the effort. That's what they were willing to do, and that's what we should be willing to do. You and I should be willing to go the distance, not go back to bed when it comes to worshiping God. You and I should be willing to make the effort, not make excuses. Go the distance for him. Go the distance. Come to his house and worship. Make the effort. Don't make excuses. He is worthy of our worship. Uh, Where did they visit? Well, they arrive in Jerusalem. Why? Well, obviously a king would be born at the capital. I, I mean, certainly a king would be born in a palace. And they come expecting everyone to know. Look at verse 2. Where is he who's been born king of the Jews? Jews, there's, there's no celebration. There's no headlines. There's no excitement. Even if this is farther and longer down the road, someone would still be talking about this, this incredible king and this time in history. Nothing. No one knew. No one had a clue. It's not much different than our culture, is it? Our culture likes to ignore the king. They like to hide the king amidst all the clutter. It's a whole lot easier to see Santa than the Savior in our culture. It's a lot easier to see the lights than the Lord and shiny presence than the presence of God. You know what we need? We need more Jesus and less junk. You know what I need? I need more Jesus and less junk. You know what you need in your home and in your life? You need more of Jesus and less junk. You need more of the King and less clutter. Put away the junk and get back to Jesus. Put away the clutter and get back to the king of all kings. The king has a star. They tell him, we've seen a star in the east and have come to worship him. This star leads them to the newborn king. And a king has been born, a sovereign ruler, royalty, king of the Jews. And prophecy foretold this, Isaiah 9. A child will be born to us. A son will be given to us. He's a ruler. The government will rest on his shoulders. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There'll be no end of the, to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom. The bloodline of King David runs through his veins to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness. And from then on and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. By the way, we have prophecy concerning our king. And not just his first coming or his first advent, but his second coming and his second advent. Revelation 19, he's not coming as a baby when he comes back. The armies which are in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, following him on white horses. From his mouth come a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, say it with me, King of kings and Lord of lords. He is coming again. Prepare your mind and prepare your heart. Talk about a birth announcement, though. We saw a star in the east, an eastern star, supernatural signal light. Heavenly statement of God's mark on humanity. And they needed a star. Why? Because the people were clueless. No one even noticed what was happening under their noses. And people are still clueless today. You know what they need? They need you to be the star. They need you to announce the birth of the king. They they need you to shine in the deepest, darkest darkness of our culture. There's a reason why you're in that neighborhood where you live. God put you there as a light. There's a reason why you're in that class with those other students. There's a reason why you're on that team 
with those other players. There's a reason why you're at that place of work among those coworkers. God wants you to be the star. He wants you to shine. He wants you to shine in the deepest darkness of people's lives and tell them about the Savior who was born to save them from their sin. Be the star this Christmas. Shine into the lives of other people. And they came for one purpose, not to engage in a cross-cultural adventure or you know, much-needed rest and relaxation or extended study tour. It says we've come to worship. This time of year is about worship. And I want to encourage you to get alone with God and worship him. Go for a walk, drive somewhere, the quietness of your home, and take some time and just worship your God. And take out your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 2 or Luke chapter 2, and just spend some time reading the Christmas story and just worship the king. Remember, Christmas is about facts, not fairy tales, and paying homage to the king. It's also about troubling the hearts of unbelievers. You say, what do you mean by that? Oh, Christmas is a problem for people. Look at verse 3. Herod the king heard this. He's troubled. All Jerusalem with him. What? They're troubled. See, our culture around us is troubled, is it not? The ACLU constantly fighting Christmas. I mean, atheists constantly mocking Christmas and removing mangers. And our culture hates the Christ of Christmas. They can't even say the words, happy holidays. They can't even say Merry Christmas. Politicians are troubled, like Herod here. Herod heard this, he's troubled. Well, think about it. A group of important dignitaries from a faraway country are looking for a king, but they're not looking for you. Oh, and by the way, they've brought expensive gifts, but they're not for you. Oh, and not only that, they're following a star, but it doesn't lead to you. I mean, he's, he's troubled, he's threatened, he's fearing losing his job, losing his head, his mind is racing, he's insecure. New king wants my throne. Jesus is always troubling to those who want to keep their throne. Jesus always troubles those who want to be in control. It's my life and I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it and who's going to tell me otherwise? God troubles those people because he deserves our everything. Some of you can't worship God because you haven't given him the throne of your life. And you live a life that is troubled, full of lies and manipulation and deceit because you're trying to hold on to everything instead of saying, God, you're my creator. You are my God. You are my Savior. Everything is yours. Then you'll finally be able to worship like you should be worshiping. Then you'll finally not be troubled and joy will restore, be restored to your life. Let go of the throne of your life and let God take control. Let him have his way. Humble yourself. The masses of people were troubled, verse 3. All Jerusalem with him. Why? The city has no reason to be troubled. They got, a, they got a bad king and we got a new king that was just born. This should be a time of, of gratitude and joy. I mean, Herod wasn't even the legitimate king. He had no right to rule. He was half Jew, not full Jew. He was half Edomite. He was appointed king by the Romans. He's not the legitimate king. Herod also was a bloodthirsty murderer. Let me give you some history on this man. He had the high priest, his wife's half-brother, drowned. He had his wife killed. He had his mother-in-law executed. He had a number of his own sons executed. Five days before his death, he had another son killed. Listen to this one. 
Shortly before his death, he had the most distinguished citizens of Jerusalem imprisoned. Why? He had given the orders the moment he died, they were all to be executed because he wanted to guarantee the city would be crying. That's the kind of man Herod was. Well, why would the city be troubled? I'll tell you why, because they didn't want any trouble. People don't like change. They were comfortable with the way things were. They, they, they'd rather have a bad king than a new king. Why keep Herod? Let me give you another reason, because Herod was good for business. Historically, he brought economic prosperity to the city. He had given tax breaks, financial incentives, even gold from the palace had been melted down and given to the poor to buy food. He had bought them. Building projects, theaters, racetracks, reconstructed the temple. The list goes on. The people chose money over morality. That's what they were doing. They were choosing self over spirituality. The sad truth is they didn't care how bad he was as long as they were making money. Be careful of one's attitude. Care more about morality than you do money. Remember, Christmas is about troubling the hearts of unbelievers. It's also about the reliability of God's word. Your Bible is reliable. You have the word of the living God. It is true. It is pure. It is inerrant. Hold on to scripture and love the Bible and all that God has to teach you in it. I mean, just think about the prophecies. He, he gathers all the chief priests, verse 4, and scribes and inquires of them where the Messiah is going to be born. You know what he does here? He's nervous. He's inquisitive. He wants some answers. So he gets the religious bigwigs together. The chief priests, the scribes who would know the prophecies, have a grasp on scripture. They can tell me what's going on, Herod is thinking. They'll tell me where. We know why he wants to know where. Because he's got execution on his mind. The religious leaders knew, verse 5 and 6, this prophecy. In Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet, you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. I want you to notice some things. Chief priests, scribes, they knew immediately. Quick answer, fast response, no-brainer, Bethlehem, Judea. They knew specifically, they pinpointed the location, the town. Tiny little town out in the middle of nowhere. Never doubt special things can happen in tiny little towns out in the middle of nowhere. Even in cornfields, my friend, God can work. Amen. They knew immediately, they knew specifically, they knew scripturally. This was a prophecy some 800 years before the birth of Christ. Micah 5.2. As for you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. Listen to this. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of what? He is eternal. He is the eternal king born a man that is in your Bible. And God fulfilled it through Jesus Christ. See, they knew immediately, they knew specifically, they knew scripturally. You know what the problem was? They didn't know it personally. I mean, how many people can give you a chapter and verse out of the word of God, but not know the God of the word? They knew their Bibles, but they didn't know the God of the Bible. They knew it, but they didn't know him. You need to know him. Not just know a scripture, not just memorize a verse. You need to know God. You need to know him personally. And some of you have never come to faith in Jesus. You've been a religious person all your life. You know your sins and God will forgive you. But you've got to humble your heart before him. And at the end of the service, I would love the privilege of leading you in prayer. And you can place your faith in the Lord and receive him as your own savior.
There was another problem. Not only did they not know him personally, they were indifferent and uninterested. They were indifferent toward the place. I mean, Bethlehem's only five to six miles away. The Magi travel eight to 100, 900 miles, and they couldn't be bothered to go down the road to check it out. I'm amazed how people can't be bothered to drive down the road to God's house. Very many people are indifferent toward God's house and worship. They're indifferent toward the Magi. This is a testimony of the Magi traveling all this way, a star. These are the people. I mean, this is incredible. Doesn't even phase the religious leaders, not curious in the least bit. They're numb to these men and their message. You know, that's the heartache sometimes I feel as a pastor. Preach your heart out and you want to see people make changes. And You know what it's like as Christians. You pour your heart out and you witness to somebody. You're trying to encourage them spiritually and they just blow you off. It's hard. People ignore the only message that will give them hope. They're indifferent toward the prophecy of God's word. I mean, God's word really did matter. It didn't matter to them. They, they showed no belief, no desire, no interest, and they were indifferent toward the Messiah himself, the King of Kings, the Lord Jesus. You, you never hear of them traveling to Bethlehem, visiting the newborn king, worshiping the Messiah. I believe they feared Herod more than they feared God. And I believe they were more in love with what people thought of them than what God, than what God thought of them. This will get you in t- trouble every single time. It, it, you're going to be in big trouble if you start fearing God or fearing man more than you fear God. And you're going to be in big trouble if you start loving what people think of you more than what God thinks of you. Fear God and love God. Remember what Christmas is all about, the reliability of God's word. Remember what Christmas is all about. It's about lies and false worship. It's true. Christmas is about lies and false worship. All you got to do is look around in our culture. All you got to do is look right here. There's a lot of spiritual pretending going on. Herod secretly calls the Magi in verse 7. Determines the exact time the star appeared. Sent them to Bethlehem and says, Go search carefully for the child. When you found him, report it to me. Why? Because I want to come and worship him too. Herod is the first Christmas phony. Here he is. He's sneaky secretly called the Magi. He doesn't want people to know what he's up to. He's shrewd, determined from them the exact time the star appeared. He's trying to figure it all out. He's sneaky, he's shrewd, he's manipulative. He's the original Grinch trying to steal Christmas right here because I want to worship him. And he sends the Magi off with his blessing on behalf of them, official government business now. Search, report, I'm coming to worship. What a liar. He looks like he wants to worship. He sounds like he wants to worship. He's acting like he wants to worship. Don't you find people like that today? They act like they want to worship. They sound like they want to worship. I'll never forget a few years back, I took my son, my youngest son, to the CVS pharmacy in Aurora. He needed to get a physical, and there was a physician there. And uh, so I'm talking to the physician, witnessing to him about Christ. And uh, he informed me, oh, I I go to church. So I asked him where. He said, I go to a church in Oswego. And I said, which one? He said, I go to Harvest. I said, me too. I'm the senior pastor. He said, oh, I thought you looked familiar. (laughs) Moral of the story, if you tell someone you go to church, make sure it's not the senior pastor you're lying to. (laughs) Here's the truth. It has nothing to do with worship for Herod, everything to do with murder. Matthew 2.16, we will read these words. When Herod saw that he had been tricked by the Magi, he became very enraged. 
sent and slew all the male children who were in Bethlehem and all its vicinity, from two years old and under, according to the time which had been determined from the Magi. What happened in Pakistani school not too long ago wasn't the first time innocent children were slaughtered by madmen. Remember, Christmas is also about lies and false worship. Christmas, though, is also about divine guidance and great joy. Look at verse 9. After hearing the king, they went on their way, and the star which they'd seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. So the Magi leave Jerusalem for Bethlehem. They leave a king for the king. And they listen and they depart and they follow this star that appears again and moves and stops truly. We sing, star of wonder, star of light, star with royal beauty bright, westward leading, still proceeding. Say it with me. Guide us to thy perfect light. And it pinpoints where the Christ child is. I want you to understand, God still supernaturally leads people to himself today. He may not do it with stars, but he uses people. And he uses his word. He he calls to us in the depths of our heart. He draws us with his everlasting arms to himself. And some of you have been called this morning. You've heard of God's love for you and you need love and you've heard of forgiveness and you know all the sins and there's something in you that says, I need forgiveness, I need God. This is what I need. That's God calling you. That's God drawing you. He saves as we gaze upon his son, our savior, as we place our faith in him for the forgiveness of our sins. He still saves today. The Magi leave and the Magi rejoice exceedingly with great joy. I want you to notice, they're, they're getting close and they're getting excited. I mean, you know what it's like. You, you take a long trip and the closer you get, the more excited you get. And we, we do this every summer. We, we drive out to New Jersey as a family to the Jersey Shore where I grew up. And we, we drive through Illinois and we drive through Indiana and we drive through Ohio. We get to Pennsylvania and toward the middle of Pennsylvania, we start to go through tunnels. There's four of them and the kids get excited. We come into Philly and we go over the Walt Whitman Bridge and we get on the AC Expressway. Then we get on the Garden State Parkway. Exit 17. That's where I get off with my family. We, we drive down the boulevard going in the sea. We roll down the windows and we smell the marsh air and we get up on that bridge and there it is, the ocean. And there's excitement when you arrive. They've arrived and they are so excited, not for an ocean, but for a king, the king of kings. I want you to notice here, the closer you get to the king of kings, the more joy you'll experience. The closer we get to the ocean, the more excited the kids get and the more joy they have. The closer you get to the king, the more excitement and the more joy. That's why some of you don't have the joy you used to have. You go in the wrong direction. You're no longer driving, so to speak, closer to the king. You've made a detour, and it's time to get back on, following to go to the king. The closer you get to the king, the more joy you'll have. The, the closer you follow God's leading He he wants to lead you and and you're not looking to him. You're looking to people and you're looking to the TV and you're looking to magazines and you're looking to self-help books and God is saying, look to me. Follow me, follow my word, follow my will for your life and you will have joy again. You'll have fulfillment again in this life. No more detours. Start following the king again. Get closer to him. That's what Christmas is all about. 
Christmas is not only about divine guidance and great joy, it's also about divine worship and gift giving. Verse 11, they come into the house. That's the house, not the manger. They see the child with Mary, his mother, and they they fell to the ground and worshiped him and opening their treasures, they present to him gifts of gold and frankincense, myrrh. They behold the king. They, they see the one for whom the star has shone. And they see the one for whom the, is the fulfillment of prophecy. They see the king. And they worship him. And I, know, I want you to notice this is an immediate response. That they didn't have to think twice. They just fall on their knees. True worship is more than words. The posture of the heart should affect the posture of the body. I, I want to encourage you to get on your knees more before God. Every single morning, I try to without fail. As soon as I get on my, out of bed, I go to my knees. Because I need to remind myself that he is God, not me. I need to remind myself that he's my creator and I owe all allegiance to him. I need to remind myself that, that I'm dependent on him. I can't do it without him. I need to remind myself how much he loves me and how much I love him. I want to encourage you every day to get on your knees at some point and just worship your king. These are grown men in front of peasants, in, 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 in front of a child. They're rich, loaded with treasures, and they bow, and they're smart, intelligent, wise, powerful, influential people, and they bow before the king. It just reminds us that no one is too rich or smart or powerful to bow before the king. Nobody. And you might as well practice now for eternity. Philippians 2.10 tells us, so that the name of Jesus, how many knees? Every knee will bow. Every person who has cursed the name of Christ. Every person who has mocked our Savior. Every person. Every knee will bow to those who are, to the, to, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. That every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And they worship him. He is God. I mean, he, he might be a little child, but he's God. And, and, and you know what? Your kid might be really cute and really smart. I'm sure cuter than any kid, smarter than any kid. No one fell on their face and worshiped that kid. Okay, the grandparents came close, but still, nobody. They behold the king, they worship the king, and look at what they do. They give to the king. They open their treasures. They present to him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. I want you to notice here that worship was tangible. When you come to worship the king, you don't come empty-handed. It's one thing to sing to him. It's one thing to attend a service. For some of you here, you need to take your worship to the next level. That's what you need to do. And notice, nobody gave gifts to each other that first Christmas. It was all about giving gifts to the Lord. So I have a question for you. What are you giving to God this Christmas? Is the Lord on your Christmas list? You got family on your list? You got your spouse on your list? Your kids? Friends? This is his birthday. You do have God on your list for Christmas, don't you? It's his birthday. It's his celebration. And their worship was generous. I mean, they, they present to him, not Mary and Joseph, to the child. Talk, talk about a baby shower. Forget diapers, wipes, and onesies. Bring on the gold and the myrrh and the frankincense. I mean, I mean, gold. Throughout history, the most precious of all metals. Symbol of wealth, symbol of royalty, gift fit for a king. Frankincense, the gift for a priest. 
It's been called the incense of deity. Costly, beautiful, sweet-smelling fragrance. My son Grayson looked at this picture this morning. He said, looks like fruity pebbles or rice krispies. So I'm like, no. <laughs> it was used in the tabernacle and or temple, certain royal processions. Myrrh, the gift of sacrifice. Valued spice and perfume, often mixed with others in preparation for bodies during burial. Reminding us again that Jesus would be born to die for this world. Even at his birth, we see gold representing the true king of kings. And and we see frankincense representing the perfect high priest. And we see myrrh representing the supreme savior and his sacrifice for this world. One other thing we remember that Christmas is about. It's about obeying God, not men, rather than men. Look at verse 12. Having been warned by God in a dream not to return by Herod, the Magi leave for their own country by another way. Herod had said, report back to me. God said, don't listen to Herod. Oh, I don't know what to do. Herod said this. God said this. It's pretty obvious. You obey God every time. When the commands of men contradict the commands of God, you obey God every single time. Acts 5.29 Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. And so the Magi do that, and they make their way home. They leave. They obeyed at the start of the trip. They obey at the end of the trip. You know what they teach me? The Christmas message is about listening to God. It's about our commitment to God. It's about obedience to God. Make that part of the Christmas message this time of year. Where have you not been listening to God that you now need to start? In what area of your life have you not been obeying God? You know it. You're convicted of it. And now you need to start obeying God. Give that back to God as part of your Christmas gift to him. Remembering what Christmas is all about. It's about facts, not fairy tales. Paying homage to the king. It's about troubling the hearts of unbelievers. He does that. The reliability of God's word. It's about lies and false worship that's everywhere around us. Divine guidance and great joy. Divine worship and gift giving. And obeying God rather than men. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this beautiful story of the Magi. All that they have to teach us and you have to teach us about Christmas. Help us to internalize these truths and live them out, we pray. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. You may be a believer in this place today and God has reminded you of some things personally in your life. And I just want to encourage you to talk to the Lord right now. Maybe there's an area of commitment or obedience that you need to make right with God. Make that commitment to Him. Maybe it's about worship, making the effort and the decision because he's worth it. Maybe it's getting the junk out of your life and getting more Jesus. 
Maybe it's following him more closely. Not taking those detours. Just talk to God. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. You, you may be here this morning and you may say, Scott, I've taken so many detours. I've messed my life up so bad. There's so much sin and I've got guilt and shame and I need God in my life. What do I do? I would encourage you to call out to God right now. He loves you so much. You may say, I want that love. Just call out to him in faith in the depths of your heart, in the quietness of your heart, just say words like these, Lord Jesus, I need you. I'm lost without you. Please forgive me of all my sin. Please save me from all my sin. Thank you for being born for me. Thank thank you for dying for me. Lord, I place my faith in you to save me. I can't save myself. Please forgive me and please save me from all my sin. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.